Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello, friends, and welcome back. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week, we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. We're living through the greatest transformation in all of human history. 2020 ushered in a global pandemic and became a radically disruptive evolutionary driver. 2020 was also the release of the book, Our Moment of Choice, Evolutionary Visions and Hope for the Future. Now, a few years later, as the release of the paperback comes out, I'm wondering what have we learned? Where are we in 2022 and where do we go from here? What visions and hope can we hang on to? I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Bruce Lipton, cell biologist and lecturer, is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirituality. Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford University. He is the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, The Honeymoon Effect, and co-author of Spontaneous Evolution. Bruce received the 2009 prestigious Goy Peace Award in honor of his scientific contribution to world harmony, and he was one of the authors in the book I mentioned, Our Moment of Choice. I'm so happy to have you back, Bruce. Welcome back to the show. Julie, thank you very much, and I so appreciate being on the show because we have a wonderful audience out there, an audience of the cultural creatives that are going to help us move from where we are now into a world that we can thrive into, so I'm so anxious to be here with you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You know, I hope that this show, um, this conversation can really um, not just inspire those cultural creatives that are are tuning in and listening today, but really give them some concrete and specific movement, action, and, and just really pieces of that transformative process that they get to carry forward. So I'm looking forward to this. Who knows what's going to emerge, right? I have no idea, but it's going to be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's begin with our moment of choice. Um, two years later, I'm just curious, what does that literally mean to you today, that this is a moment of choice? And what is your evolutionary visions and hope for the future? Well, our moment of choice is uh, recognizing a very important fact that we're facing an evolutionary upheaval. And it's not a passive process where we just sit around and then wait and then one day go outside and go, oh, look at the evolution that happened here. Uh, because this is a participatory evolution. Each one of us is involved with creating a future at this point. And this is uh, so different than just looking at ourselves as like victims of a world that are going crazy. Uh, uh, and we really have to turn this all around right now to recognize we are creators. And if we understand where the uh, fault lies <laughs> in the sense that 
I don't want to create this mess, then how did we end up here? Uh, once we have that knowledge, and knowledge is power, then we also have the power to change the world. And this is exactly what our moment of choice is really coming down to. It says there are principles and understandings of what's going on. This is not just a, a coincidence or an accident, the chaos that we see around the globe. This is all part of a live evolutionary upheaval, uh, and each of us is going to be a participant. I love that, the participatory evolution that, that, that's inspiring here. So, Bruce, from your perspective, you are, you are a cell biologist. You've written about spontaneous evolution. You hold an important piece of the conversation. So, you wrote in a chapter in our moment of choice, conscious evolution, a theory we can thrive with. I'm wondering what these transformative times mean to you as a scientist, and can you give us your perspective of conscious evolution 101? Even science has evolved over time, and so there's a lot of really exciting new emergent information coming out as, as well as forms and structures and things shifting as we look at this. So what is conscious evolution 101 from your perspective? Well, we've been led to believe that our lives are controlled by our genetics. Uh, it's a story of genetic determinism that the general public has uh, been programmed with. Um, then these genes are apparently going to turn on and off and control the character of our lives. So I say, so what were we teaching people with the concept of genetic determinism? And that is that, uh, oh my goodness, uh, we're victims of our heredity. We didn't pick the genes as far as we know. We can't change them if we don't like the characteristics. And then uh, we're also told that these genes turn on and off by themselves. Uh, again, that means that uh, genes apparently are programming our life. A lot of people then recognize, uh, you know, my life is not in my control, it's in the control of these genes and I'm a victim. Uh, and the significance is that this story is not valid <laughs> at all. Uh, the, the whole belief, the first thing is that genes turn on and off uh, is a complete false assumption. Uh, and unfortunately, that's the assumption that says, uh, the genes control me, I don't control them. That this science uh, was, actually it's not even real science, it was a hypothesis presented back in 1958 uh, and everyone thought this hypothesis, and it came from Francis Crick, co-founder of uh, the DNA story Watson and Crick. Uh, Francis Crick said that uh, all information flows from the DNA, and then it goes into a, like a Xerox copy of DNA called RNA, and that RNA then is used to uh, create the uh, proteins, which are the structure of the body. Uh, and that this information only flows in one direction, which is then the whole source of what is called genetic determinism. Uh, this story turns out not to be true. Uh, in fact, I had a unique opportunity back in 1967. I was cloning stem cells, uh, two aspects. Uh, first of all, the number of people that even knew what stem cells were back in 1967 were just a handful in the world. Uh, and the idea of cloning becomes very important because it means that I could take one stem cell, put it in a Petri dish by itself, and it divides every 10 or 12 hours, and first there's one, then two, four, eight, and then after a week, I have 30,000 cells. But the most important part of the story is that when you do cloning, all of the resulting cells are genetically identical. So what I saw that uh, preceded science by over, what, 23 years, was I saw that um, I could clone cells, uh, clone a stem cell, 
make, uh, you know, after a week, 30,000 cells in the Petri dish, all genetically identical, split those cells into three different Petri dishes. And the uh, experiment was that I changed the growth medium uh, for each of the dishes so that the cells were in a different environment. Uh, an important point is uh, growth medium is the laboratory version of blood. So uh, when I grow human cells, I say, what's human blood made out of? And then concoct a growth medium. And since I'm creating in the lab, I made three slightly different versions of growth of the culture medium chemistry wise. And so uh, my three dishes of cells, all genetically identical, but in each dish was a different environment, a different culture medium. And I say, so what was the result? And I say, well, in one dish, the cells form muscle. In a different environment, culture medium composition, the second dish, the cells form bone. And in a third dish, yet again, with a different uh, combination of culture medium uh, constituents, uh, the cells form fat cells. The most amazing thing for me was here I am teaching that genes control life, and yet the cells were teaching me that the environment that they were in was selecting the genes. Now, this becomes important when we extend this one step, and I say, we look at ourselves in the mirror, see a single entity, but the truth is we're actually made out of 50 trillion cells. Uh, the cells are the living entities. A human body, by actual definition, is a community of 50 trillion cells. Uh, and, and the relevance about that then is that our body is the equivalent of a skin-covered culture dish. And inside this body-skin culture dish is the original culture medium, blood. And then all of a sudden I go, oh my goodness, it doesn't make a difference if the cell's in a plastic dish or the skin-covered dish. Its fate is determined by the composition of the culture medium or the blood. And then when I started to follow up on this, I said, well, if the chemistry of the blood is controlling the genetics, what controls the chemistry? <laughs> that led me to the brain. The brain is the chemist. And then the last step and the most important life-changing thing for me was, so what chemistry should the brain be putting into the blood? And then I realized whatever picture we hold in our mind the brain's job is to translate that picture into complementary chemistry. So if you have a picture of love in your mind, well, you have you release love chemistry into the blood. And if you have fear in your mind, you release stress chemicals into the blood. If you have anger, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden, what the difference was, was, oh, my God, it's a chemical composition of the blood that controls the genes. And the, that is controlled by our mind. And then all of a sudden I said, oh, we've been teaching people that genes control themselves. Now we know that it is the mind that controls our genetic activity. The most important insight, of course, is we can change our minds. And therefore, we're not victims of the genes. We are masters of our genetic activity. Uh, and that takes us from victim to uh, the, the ability to create the life we want. This is so important, and you just unpacked so much right there. I have like 30 directions I want to go, but uh, I just want to start with this going back to that false assumption in that many branches of science are are really looking at 
our research and our history going, wow, we have a lot of false assumptions that just are not true. And so it's an exciting time for these breakthroughs. And, and your work with the stem cells and this idea of our DNA is really important. I want to kind of, so let's play, let's play for a minute, Bruce, because I'm thinking about all the research, this, the stem cells that you just mentioned, the research on non-locality and entanglement and the unified field. So from this micro of the cell biology to the macro of larger organisms to this cosmic perspective, if humanity as a species is all one organism, so we're going to take a leap here, but if we are one organism and we're all part of one unified field of consciousness, then can we assume that our individual thoughts and actions matter, that one individual can make a difference. Just like we're talking about the, the blood and the brain and, and, and having the influence of love over the DNA and the stem cells, I'm wondering if we can look at our conscious evolution as we're going to talk about developing cooperative communities, and that's where we're evolving to. Um, I want to back up to that in a second, but what wisdom can you share about this idea to those that are listening, giving us really more hope for these emerging new forms and uh, and and the conscious evolution before us that we know non-locality is in play with cells. We we get the entanglement now. We understand the unified field. So, does this work for a species as well? Like, how how can one individual thoughts actions matter? Well, the, the most important thing we have to recognize is that as a single individual, just ourselves going out in the world and say, I want peace, is not really going to make a big difference in the world. But it's based on the number of people who want the same image. Uh, and this is uh, when, when, when one person starts with an idea and other people start to pick it up. Uh, it changes culture. Now, how did I get into culture from cell biology? And a very important point was this, is that my research on the stem cells revealed that uh, our consciousness is creating our biological behavior and the character of our life. I got, yeah, that's really cool. And then I get into the fact that we've been programmed uh, in the first seven years of our life, and that program essentially characterizes the rest of our life. Matter of fact, the Jesuits have told their followers for 400 years, give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. What they knew 400 years ago was whatever programming we got before seven is generally what controls the character of our life. So this was important in the biology of belief, saying, oh, your beliefs are you know, influenced by the programs that you got, and that's what controls your life. And then that's what changed my life because all of a sudden I said, oh, my goodness, what if a large number of people share the same beliefs? And then all of a sudden I said, oh, my goodness. Well, then that's the foundation of culture <laughs> because we all start to share the same uh, beliefs and the behaviors to support those beliefs. And that's what led me to say, oh, biology of belief is how ours as individuals controls our biology. Spontaneous evolution said, you know, over the years, 
cultural beliefs have shaped the civilization. And when those cultural beliefs change, so does the civilization follow with those changes. So civilizations have come and gone. I mean, we started with the indigenous people uh, living on this planet and recognizing that Earth was a garden and that they were here to live in harmony with the garden. Uh, then we went to polytheism, and all of a sudden the emphasis wasn't on the earth, now it was on gods. Then we went to monotheism, uh, and I said, no, there's only one god, and that god doesn't even exist on this planet. Uh, and then the massive change in culture occurred when Darwin published his book on, on evolution. Uh, and the significance about that was um, all of a sudden that book uh, told people Oh my goodness! Uh, we're we're controlled by heredity, uh, and then then I said, well, that was where the problem comes. It says, well, you got your genes and you can't control them. All of a sudden, the whole world seems to be going out of control, but not recognizing it's the programming that we get in the first seven years that determines the rest of our lives. That's been known, and I go now. Here comes an issue: the culture that we've been living in has been programmed. This is how we behave. How did we behave? You grew up in the world. You observed the people. You observed your parents and your family and your community, and you downloaded their behaviors. We passed culture from one generation to the next generation. The problem is now the culture that we've been living in has been so destructive of the environment, so completely different than the indigenous people who said we're the uh, gardeners in a garden. We are now destroying the garden to the extent that we have precipitated what is referred to in science as the sixth mass extinction event, which means, of course, there were five previous mass extinction events. Uh, and these were due to natural uh, effects on the planet that altered the web of life. The, the last extinction event was 66 million years ago when the dinosaurs were here and the world was flush with wonderful forests and everything and a comet hit near uh, the uh, uh, in Mexico, Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, the comet was so big that it upended the web of life. And what happened was all the dinosaurs disappeared and 75% of life disappeared. And I go, well, that's a mass extinction event. And I go, the previous five mass extinctions are attributed to tectonic plates, volcanic activity, earthquakes, comets. And yet today we're in the sixth mass extinction. And the difference is that this is human derived. Human behavior is undermining the web of life so much that we're causing our own extinction. Now, you might say, oh, it's a thousand years from now or something. I say, no, within decades from now, uh, NASA uh, on a global research uh, assessment uh, came to the conclusion a couple of years back that industrial civilization, and of course, that's the one we're in right now, is facing, and I want to emphasize the word, irreversible collapse. That means they say within the next couple of decades, civilization as we know it is going to collapse. Well, they wrote that a couple of years ago, uh, and guess what? We're <laughs> proceeding very rapidly on that plan, uh, and this is what's precipitating the chaos in the world today. We're so out of harmony with life that we're destroying each other, we're destroying the environment, and our moment of choice is the most important contribution here because from leaders around the world in various fields, have all recognized that we are in an evolutionary upheaval right this minute. 
And that's why the chaos is here. And I go, the reason is simple. You can't create a sustainable world on today's culture. It's We're, we're not sustainable. Uh, and in the process of uh, destroying the environment basically leaves us only one option. Well, the two, you can continue doing what we're doing. And as NASA said, yeah, within the next couple of decades, this whole civilization will collapse. Or we can do something different. We can break the structure that is causing the problem and build a new structure based on the new science that you talked about, Julie. Yeah, there's a renaissance in every field from uh, physics to chemistry to biology, psychology, uh, all of our beliefs we held for hundreds of years or so are, are falling by the wayside as new beliefs are coming in. And thankfully, these new beliefs are the beliefs that empower us as individuals to move from today's uh, non-sustainable civilization and guide us into a world that we can thrive into the future. So uh, I appreciate uh, being here because I'm, of course, one of the participants in the our Moment of Choice book, offering people, hey, what's going on? This is not an accident. This is not a coincidence. The chaos that is in this world is fundamental because without it, uh, we, our, our civilization is going to end very, very soon. So the chaos says we're breaking it down. I go, great, because we can't build a sustainable civilization on today's foundation. So when you see the world falling apart around us, there are you know, massive part of the population says, oh, no, I'm freaking out. The whole thing's falling apart. And then there's some of us uh, that are looking, going, thank goodness, because this is the opportunity to manifest a civilization that we can more than survive, but actually thrive into the future with. And this is our moment of choice. Mm. I appreciate that so much, Bruce. And I'm like just really hearing this on many levels. And we're going to get into some of those choices and what makes this a hopeful time as well. Like you said, it, we, we can't continue the way we're going, but that world as we know it, that one, the industrial civilization that's breaking down was built on that illusion of separation that we're separate from. But when you were talking, I just want to bring in this yes. cool image that I saw. You're talking about, we began with the DNA and you're talking about the blood culture and then all of a sudden we moved to society and we're talking about culture and it was like I was seeing humanity in this Petri dish, right, of this environment and, and how literally we do have um, an evolutionary process that we are a part of, this participatory evolution, this co-creating the new world. And with that, I just want to bring in this one piece before break, uh, because I think it's, it's foundational here as we're talking, that literally consciousness is an important piece of this, but you give examples of organisms creating the most conscious version of itself and then coming up against the physical limitations. And at that point, it moves into cooperative information sharing larger communities where it transforms to a new organism altogether. So I, I'm seeing that from the simple cell clear through species. I'm wondering if this pattern, in your opinion, does this pattern appear at all scales of life that here we are, humanity as a species, 
becoming very conscious of itself and now it's time to move into cooperative information sharing larger communities oh absolutely the the issue is is what is consciousness how, how can you quantify consciousness well that's always been the biggest problem in the world there, there's like can you give me a pound of consciousness or something you know what is it for the longest time we recognized that the genes were giving us the characteristics but now we know no the genes are for reproduction <laughs> they're not intelligent in the sense that genes cannot turn on and off they respond to consciousness so then i said well then where is this consciousness well we start with the earliest organisms like bacteria and it turns out that consciousness is in the skin or the membrane of the cell. Uh, and it's very interesting because uh, uh, that is the equivalent of the brain. The membrane is the brain of the mm. cell. Uh, and it's interesting because if you go to human embryology, our nervous system comes from our skin as well. So uh, as you go up and down the whole uh, evolutionary lineage, it's based on, on surface area uh, and it starts with bacteria. And I go, just to give a point, why why did, uh, did we go from single evolution to community evolution? The answer is this. Bacteria are like invertebrates. They don't have an internal skeleton. They have an external skeleton called a capsule. The capsule is the limitation on the size of a bacterium. And therefore, I say, well, when a bacterial cell is inside a capsule, it can only have so much membrane. It can't just make excess membrane. It has to fit inside this capsule. So let's say the first part of evolution is to make the very smartest bacterium. Meaning you, uh, you know, utilize the membrane to its full capacity of what's available inside that capsule. I say that's the smartest bacterium. You can't make it any smarter. So evolution, in a sense, stopped phase one. But I said, but evolution continued. I said, how did it continue? I said, because bacteria started to form communities with other bacteria. They're called biofilms. And biofilms represent a, a heterogeneous community of bacteria, meaning not all the same bacteria. They're different bacteria with different functions, and yet they cooperate together like a, they are a community. And, and together, they have much more power than any single bacterium. So phase two of evolution was I couldn't make the individual smarter, but I can have them come together in community and therefore share. So the more bacteria, the more intelligence. Uh, this was what created what is called biological uh, biofilms, which are uh, membrane-wrapped communities of bacteria. Well, that's, that was the community, but the community evolved to a higher level of organization and became a single cell. All the bacterial DNA from all the individuals were collected into one bacterium, which became the nucleus and had all the genetics of all the different communities. So I don't need all the different bacteria in the community because now I have a resource for all of their functions in one structure called the nucleus. The cell that evolved is called the amoeba. The amoeba has an internal skeleton. I go, so what? I say, Internal skeleton means that there's no limitation on the surface. How much surface I can just build a skeleton inside scaffolding, make more membrane. So an amoeba has a thousand times more membrane than a bacterium, which then means it's more capable and more intelligent. But then again, I can make the smartest amoeba, and I said, but it reaches a, a size limitation. 
Amoeba is like a, a cell is like a balloon with water in it. If you put a small amount of water in a balloon, you can pass it from one person to the next, no problem. But there's a certain amount of water you put in, the balloon gets so swollen, if you try and throw it, it'll just rupture the membrane and, and the balloon is broken. Well, that's the same thing for amoeba. You can get only to a certain size amoeba, and then the membrane is now fragile because it's it's too you know it's too much cytoplasmic content to hold by that membrane. So guess what? We got to the smartest amoeba, put the most membrane I could in a single cell, and evolution stopped. I couldn't make a smarter amoeba because of size. Guess what? They form communities of amoebas, and now we're at the level of what? A human is a new organism, but it's actually a community of amoebas. Uh, and the brain of the human is like in the bacterium. It's inside the skull. There's a shell. <laughs> and I say in the beginning, we made the smartest human. How much brain can you put in there? That's why we have all those folds in the brain called gyri and sulci. That's surface area. The more folds you have, the more surface area. But a human can only put so much brain into its head. And evolution stopped. We made the smartest human. Next level of evolution, repeat. Then you bring humans together in community to share awareness. And this happened, you know, about 30,000 years ago. Enough humans came together to share awareness that technology evolved. Technology didn't evolve with a single person sitting by a campfire, uh, uh, you know, uh, and creating technology. Technology is a result of community sharing awareness. And the bigger the community, the more awareness. And then if you plot technology, you can see, hey, in the beginning, you know, they created a plow. Well, that took a while to create, and it lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. But all of a sudden, there was an acceleration of technology. And today, the technology is accelerating so fast because the population is so big, sharing so much awareness that what might be developed this morning might be outdated by tomorrow uh, with the awareness uh, of the large human population. So where are we in our, in our chain of evolution? We've created the smartest humans. We're creating the civilization of community of humans. Now, the community of humans... Uh, it, it is really reaching, it, it says, we need to evolve more. And, and that's why we're all coming together. It's very interesting because uh, the COVID plague, <laughs> well, that was anti-evolution. Think about what the, you know, the, we were told by the so-called leaders it was like, isolate yourself, separate yourself, wear the mask, don't talk, you know, keep away from each other. I go, that's anti-evolution. Uh, and so we're really now coming back to the point that says, no, that was a diversion. It's time for us to come back and work in harmony with each other. It is only through the sharing of awareness that we can advance the intelligence of the human uh, civilization, which is now a new organism called humanity. And so each of us is a cell in the body of this giant structure called humanity. There, there are, you know, what, nearly eight trillion cells, or, you know, uh, uh, well, not eight trillion, a large number of humans. How many do we have on the planet? Uh, eight billion. Yeah, almost eight billion, yep. Yeah, well, the, each of us is a cell. And, we, and when we come together in harmony, then the, uh, the larger, you know, um, the larger combination of humans 
is a new organism that we just mentioned called humanity. Uh, and we're evolving to that direction. But that has to lead us to the understanding that each of us is a cell in the same organism. Therefore, when we understand this, the idea of violence and hatred and all the, you know, the the problems that we face in, in, in this world today, shooters and criminals and all these things, we have to change our consciousness because we're all cells in the same body. <laughs> and and the, human, the humanity body is experiencing what is called autoimmune disease. Autoimmune disease is self-destructive disease. Uh, and it's interesting because at the individual human level, that's one of the biggest uh, health issues we are facing, self-destructive disease, such as diabetes, for example, heart disease, cancer. These are self-destructive. But the bigger part of self-destruction is that the population is not recognizing that we're all one and the same organism. Uh, and so humanity is killing each other. We're the cells killing each other. Humanity has autoimmune disease. And the resolution of that is to bring health to a new system called humanity, which is what the planet is looking for right now. Mm. <clears throat> Beautiful story from simple cell to who we are and who we are becoming. We need to take a break. I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. After this quick break, so much more with Bruce Lipton. We're going to talk about what you can do to create greater harmony, greater cooperation, and look forward to this conscious evolution. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, gray, gray, black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 
Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Oh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected with my newsletter where you find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration. You can sign up for that at juliecrawlemail.com. Again, that's juliecrawl, K-R-U-L-L, email.com. And learn more about Bruce Lipton's work. He's my guest today. You can find him at brucelipton.com. Um, Bruce, there's so many places we could do 10 shows and we wouldn't cover this entire thing. There's so many beautiful threads here that I want to pull, but I, I, I just want to pick right back off where you were at bringing humans together to share awareness, communities sharing awareness. This is our evolutionary impulse right now is creating that community of humans and we need to do this consciously. I'm wondering what, in Bruce Lipton's opinion, is the call to action for conscious evolution here as we're coming together in community? Well, I, I guess it really stems from the fact that we've been talking about the consciousness and we put it into the brain and talked about expanding and all that kind of stuff like that. And, and then when we talk about the new biology, the new biology, which uh, is emphasizing epigenetics, which means control above the genes, where consciousness is actually controlling our genes. And consciousness becomes so profoundly important, not just uh, uh, in controlling our genes, but then the, uh, the expression of our life after these genes are being expressed. Uh, and then I said, well, so what is consciousness? And I go, well, it, it's the mind. And all of a sudden I go, that's where a problem comes from, because I said, the mind. Uh, and that's the belief, oh, there we all have a mind. I go, yeah, we do, but there's actually two components to that mind that are interdependent. They, they, uh, each component uh, has a different function, and each component uh, learns in a different way, but they integrate and work together. And the two components are uh, what we define as the conscious mind versus the subconscious mind. And I go, well, what's the difference? Well, I say, well, first of all, they have 
different functions. The conscious mind is creative. That's the one that uh, has our wishes and our desires. And, you know, Julie, what you're talking about in a world of commons, a vision. And I go, yeah, that's a creative imagery in a, in a creative conscious mind. And I say, yeah, but we also have the subconscious mind. I go, oh, well, that's not a creative mind. That's a, the equivalent of a hard drive in a computer. It's got programs in it. Uh, and so there's a creative conscious mind and the programmable habitual subconscious mind. Now comes the big issue. Where do the programs come from in the subconscious mind? And uh, just a little sidebar, a lot of people think, oh, that's the, the you know, the subconscious is the evil part of the human. Uh, I go, no, uh, the subconscious mind is no more evil than a hard drive in your computer. Now, the programs you have in your subconscious mind, now that could be problematic. Uh, there are wonderful programs. Uh, for example, when did we learn how to walk? Before age two. And I guess what? Once you learn how to walk, you don't ever have to learn how to walk again. You could be over 100 years old. You're still using the same program that you learned before age two. So programs are in there. And then I go, well, now I have to say, well, some of the programs are, are beneficial, but it turns out about 60% of the programs that we download into our subconscious mind which is during the first seven years of life, 60% uh, of those programs are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting beliefs. So then you go, oh, I got some bad programs. And I go, yeah, but let, we're not going to use the subconscious mind. We're going to live with the conscious creative mind. I go, well, there's the problem. <laughs> I go, and the problem is the conscious mind indeed is the creative mind. It has the imagination, wishes, and desires that we can create our lives with. And then I say, but the problem is the conscious mind also has another function. Not only is it creative, but the conscious mind can think. And he goes, so what? I go, well, when you're not thinking, the conscious mind is like looking out your eyes, like looking out through the windshield of a vehicle and driving you. The conscious mind's driving you. But the moment you start thinking, the conscious mind is redirected inwards. A thought is inside your head. So all of a sudden, then the perspective of conscious mind is not looking out at the world. It's now looking in uh, th where thoughts are present. And I go, well, what if you're driving a car and then all of a sudden you start thinking? I say, oh, guess what? Your conscious mind's not looking out the window <laughs> anymore. And you go, oh, my God. And I go, but don't worry, because subconscious mind is autopilot. And I said, what does that mean? I said, if I start thinking when I'm driving the car and I'm not paying attention to the road, the subconscious steps in, drives the car because it's a program. I know how to drive a car. It's a program. So uh, I say, well, that's interesting. When I'm thinking, the subconscious is controlling my behavior. And then I give this number, and that is 95% of the day is the average amount of time a human is thinking. I go, so what does that translate to? And I go... That means only 5% of the day is your conscious mind creating your life with wishes and desires. 95% of the day, the subconscious programs control your life. Uh, uh, and the issue about this, where did I get them? I said, well, the fundamental programs you got in the first seven years were observing your parents, your mother, your father, your siblings, and your community. And the brain is like a, uh, it's in a state called theta, which is hypnosis which means you download other people's behavior as your fundamental programs in the subconscious. When you get to be age seven, the conscious, mind, the conscious mind kicks into gear, and now we can control our lives with a conscious mind. Then 
95% of that day, the conscious mind's thinking. So our life is coming from the programs. And I go, the problem is you don't see the programs when they're occurring. I say, why not? I said, but where's your conscious mind that would be paying attention? I say, oh, it's inside thinking. So whatever behavior is coming out uh, 95% of the day uh, and controlling your life, those are behaviors that control your life. 95% of them are coming from the programs and, and you don't see them. But other people do. So I give the story for 40 years. You have a friend, you know your friend's behavior very well, and you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend has the same behavior as their parent, which really gets you all excited because you're going to say to your friend, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And then I say, you back away from Bill because I know what Bill's going to say. Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. <laughs> the audience laughs and I go, this is the most profound story in the whole world. I go, what do you mean? I go, everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who can't see it is Bill. I go, how come? I said, because why is he playing the program he downloaded from his dad? And the answer is because he's thinking at that time and not paying attention. So whatever program is being played the only one who can't see it is Bill, but everybody else can see it and respond to it. So I go, that's an interesting story. I go, it's a little more than interesting. It is the most profound story because we are all Bill. Every day, 95% of the day, the behavior that we're expressing is not coming from our wishes and desires conscious mind. Our behavior is coming from the programs we downloaded from other people. And unfortunately, a psychologist will tell us, up to 60% or more of those programs are limiting and self-sabotaging uh, and disempowering behaviors. So I go, oh, I have an option to create my life with my conscious mind, but only 5% is coming from that. 95% is coming from the programs that I downloaded during that seven years of development. Again, mm -hmm. th this is where the Jesuits came in and said, give me the child for seven years and I'll show you the man because they knew the programming was seven years and that 95% of that person's life is going to come from that programming. So whatever program you got is what shapes your life. That becomes the most critical insight because we don't see these programs. And so I'm going to tell you, when did you get the programs? Well, you started getting them before you were born. Last trimester of pregnancy, the mind of the fetus is beginning to download. And it goes for seven years. And I go, so the relevance about all this is that conscious mind doesn't kick in until age seven. So everything up to then is being programmed. And the programs come up, come from other people. And as I said, 60% or more of these programs are, are, are disempowering programs. And then 95% of our life is coming from the programs. But people don't understand the programs. I go, why? Well, they weren't there consciously. Uh, I say, well, what program did you get before you were born? And well, okay, I have no answer for that. Okay, so what, what program did you get from the whole year of programming from zero to one? Uh, no, I don't remember any of that. Okay, you got programmed from another whole year, from one to two. What program did you get? You go, no, nah, I, I, nah. Uh, you went from two to three and you were programmed. Around three or so you can start to pick up some memories of things. You have no memory of the programming that you had from uh, in utero last trimester through age three. Uh, 
And I go, but you should have a memory of it. Why? Because this is your behavior that you're exercising 95% of the day. So all of a sudden I say, but I don't know my programs. And then I say, but 95% of your life is the program. So your life is a printout of your subconscious programs. That means now it's simple. You look at your life and here's the simple division. The things that you like that come into your life, they come into your life because you already have programs to acknowledge those things. But the things that you wish for, desire, you know, that you really want in your life, and you have to work hard for it and sweat over it and put a lot of effort into it. You know, I'm uh, I'm making it happen. I'm going to make, I'm working on making it happen. I go, why are you working so hard to manifest those things? And, and the answer is simply this. Whatever program you got in the first seven years, it does not support that destination. And therefore, your life is a struggle. So all of a sudden, you want to know what your programs are? Yeah. Things you like, don't worry. You got programs. That's why they came into your life. The things that you want but you have trouble getting, ah, that's where the problem comes from because you are playing programs that you can't see that are sabotaging you. And that's what you see the result. But you didn't see your participation just as Bill does not see his own behavior. Other people see it and respond to it. So the most important thing at this point is to recognize, yeah, we're creators, but are we creating with our conscious wishes and desires? Are we creating with the programs, which are culture and download and all those things that we got? I go, yeah, uh, you're not creating the one you want. Uh, and, and therefore, it says, well, what are we going to do here? And I said, well, the first thing is we just did is what programs are limiting you? Because if you can rewrite those programs, then you can get out of those programs. The movie The Matrix is a documentary. It starts off, yeah, everybody's programmed. That's absolutely true. But in the movie The Matrix, they, they offer the uh, uh, protagonist a red pill. If you take this red pill, you could get out of the program. I go, wow, what would happen if you got out of the program? And then I have an answer, and the answer is this. Science has recognized when we fall in love, uh, that that is the equivalent of the red pill. Because the reason is when we fall in love, we stop thinking and we stay what is called mindful. I mean, this person that you're meeting or whatever, it doesn't have to be love with a person. It could be love with a pet. It could be love with gardening. It could be in love with cooking. Uh, anything that you know just captivates your consciousness like that. And I go, so the, the, the important part about this is that when we fall in love, we stop thinking. And I go, oh, then that means the conscious mind is not working 5% of the day, it's working 90% or more. And all of a sudden I go, and what happens when you fall in love to taking that red pill? In 24 hours after you fall in love, you have a different life. 24 hours later, you're experiencing something called the honeymoon. I say, what's the honeymoon? Well, you're uh, very healthy and vibrant, you have lots of energy, and your life experiences are like heaven on earth. That's that love, the honeymoon. And I go, wow. And I go, that was here all the time. Your conscious mind manifests this. Your conscious mind manifests heaven on earth until you start thinking. And then all of a sudden, the conscious mind is no longer creating, and we're back into the program again. So the issue is this. It's a wake-up call. So wake up call says, look at your life. If it's not living in harmony and things aren't working the way you want, it's not because nature won't give it to you. It's because your own program 
that you got is limiting you. And this is the most important part because if you recognize the program, you also have the opportunity to rewrite those programs and change your life, putting in uh, into your subconscious, not the programs you got from other people, but how about programming your subconscious mind with your wishes and your desires, uh, your aspirations. If you put those programs in the subconscious mind, guess what? You can think all day long, and as long as the subconscious mind is running when you're thinking, it will be engaging you in the honeymoon. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. that was the issue. Uh, we struggle, not because the universe wants us to struggle. We struggle because the programming that we got has disempowered us. And, and we're creating behaviors that are contributing to the massive chaos that this planet is experiencing. And nature wants us to wake up. Our moment of choice is to wake up and say, do I want to participate the way I'm doing in this world because it's surely not working? And I say, no, you don't. I say, you want to create something different. I go, ah, well, that's the opportunity. You could uh, take that red pill, fall in love, but that's hard to stay conscious. The most important thing is to recognize if you understand where your programs are, and again, that's reflect on your life. That is the program. Uh, you can rewrite programs and manifest a completely different life experience. Recognizing that these programs not only uh, control our behavior on the outside, they control our genetics. That's what epigenetics is all about. And therefore, we can program health and vitality. Uh, the idea of like, hey, 90% of the illness on this planet, 90% or more, is actually due to stress. And the simple reality is the, the stresses are debilitating. Uh, and, and the idea about that is um, that the stress is adjusting our genetics. That's called epigenetics. Uh, and if you live in a stressful world, then uh, you actually inhibit your growth and, and the behavior characteristics uh, because uh, protection in a stress world shuts off our growth and our intelligence. And that's where we're having a problem right now. Yeah. Bruce, your brilliance is, is so helpful of, of really giving us some concrete things. And I, I appreciate the invitation to wake up and come into that conscious mind. I'm wondering, we have just about three minutes here oh, before we have to wrap. And I'm wondering, besides being a brilliant scientist, author, and speaker, teacher, what are you doing personally to affect change in conscious evolution right now? What does a, a typical day or week in the life of Bruce Lipton look like? Well, it starts with the first thing when I wake up in the morning and think, you know, the old guy that I am, 77 or something like that, I wake up and say, oh my God, I have another day on this beautiful planet. And uh, my life is profoundly different because over the years, the understanding of my programming, the, especially the programming that was causing dysfunctions, offered me the opportunity to rewrite the program. So I wake up every day and go, oh, I've got another day on heaven. And I go out and I live in love and I live in joy. And it doesn't mean everything I want manifests, but the point is, uh, I start to recognize now, if things don't manifest, there's probably something else I didn't see that was better in nature was saying, look somewhere else or something. Uh, uh, because we are, are creating, I'm trying and, and without even working hard because now it's a subconscious program that happens automatically to live in harmony, 
to spread love wherever I go, to acknowledge people, look in their eyes and smile and recognize them, recognize that, you know, everybody is a spirit and everybody is also a program. Uh, and it's interesting. I'm not a religious person, but uh, I think one of the most important lessons was from the final words attributed to Jesus when he was being crucified. And those final words were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I go, my God, that is the most important thing, that when people are not happy or not good or they're scary or whatever, those people that are the negative people, we have a tendency to make them the evil people. And, and But the lesson that, that uh, Jesus was recognizing was, underneath all of this, we are spiritual entities. It's the programs that are the problem. So... I can recognize the divinity in people, but I could also recognize the program. So I can not hate them. I know that they're spiritually really wonderful people inside, but I also know their behavior sucks. And I'm not staying around <laughs> to participate with them, but I don't hate them and I forgive them. And if the world could start to forgive people and start to recognize, they just need a little, you know, uh, up, uh, up, charging their their subconscious programming with the, some better programs that that's all they're not evil it's the programming and and if once we recognize this then we can bring everybody together that we're all here as one community to work together once we put hate into the mixture we separate people and once hate is in the in, in that mixture separation is the antithesis the opposite of evolution we need to come together and recognize, yes, each one of us is a spiritual entity living in a body that has programs. Uh, and it's time to honor the spiritual entities and then offer insights about the programming so that those people have an opportunity to rewrite limitations uh, in their life by putting in programs of health and happiness and joy and all those wonderful things that we look forward to in heaven. Yes, you said live in love, live in joy, live in harmony. That's what you're doing. Thank you, Bruce Lipton, for joining me today. I appreciate you being here so much. Julie, I appreciate you being here, and I just want the audience to know, as you mentioned during the break, that uh, you have a wonderful history of uh, lessons for people uh, in your web and your workshop stuff. And I just want people to follow up on that. There's so much information you are offering on our moment of choice that is fundamental in helping us reprogram out of the problems and into a, a, a healthy, loving heaven on earth experience. Mm, beautiful. Those are beautiful words to close by. Thank you. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm.